Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. had a go, but it was great seeing Annie again. I, I realized what a terrific person she was and, and how much fun it was just knowing her. And I, I thought of that old joke, you know, the, this, this guy goes to a psychiatrist and says, Doc, uh, my brother's crazy. He thinks he's a chicken. And uh, the doctor says, well, why don't you turn him in? And the guy says, I would, but I need the eggs. Well, I guess that's pretty much now how I feel about relationships. You know, they're totally irrational and crazy and absurd and but uh i guess we keep going through it because uh, most of us need the eggs you those are the last lines of maybe the first anti-romantic comedy annie hall directed and written by woody allen starring diane keaton and her fabulous wardrobe uh, it's one of very few uh, romantic movies in which the two main characters, spoiler alert, don't end up together. Annie and Alvy um, have this very back and forth relationship. The narrative kind of, it actually starts at the end of their relationship and then sort of goes back through their love affair. And uh, the conclusion is that they aren't meant to be together. Um, but you're still left with, with this idea that it wasn't worthless the time that they spent together just because it didn't work out in a fairy tale way just because they didn't end up together there's something still beautiful and real between them uh there was a great friendship between them and that this was life you know and that um as he says uh, relationships irrational crazy absurd um but we need them anyway and we even need the ones that don't work out so uh there there have been movies since annie hall that have sort of followed this pattern um not as well done in my opinion, but um, like a movie like 500 Days of Summer, very similar idea, um, kind of directly, I think, uh, going off Annie Hall in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that movie even starts out by saying this is not a love story. So, which is an interesting way to say it because I think it can still be a love story even if the ending isn't isn't all wrapped up in a bow. So that's going to be today's topic is is the not so happily every ever after and uh, what those stories mean, why they're worthwhile, why um, some of the original fairy tales that we know and love, maybe through Disney, why uh, the the original form of them where the ending maybe was a little darker, a little grimmer, maybe a bit more tragic, maybe teaches us a bit more about life. Uh, so that's going to be today's topic. If you're new to the podcast, I'm Katie Marquette. You're listening to Born of Wonder on this 
podcast, we explore anything and everything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. If you go back through the archive here, which is growing, uh, happy to say we're staying on schedule here every two weeks now in season two. Um, we go, we have episodes on everything from Groundhog Day to the poet John Berryman. Um, we talk about the great book Paranese. We talk about Narnia and C.S. Lewis. Uh, heroes and anti-heroes there's just there's so much to discuss joe march of course my personal inspiration um we're going to talk about her a bit today too and how greta gerwig uh also went through this uh idea of what a happy ending really is and whether or not louisa may alcott was allowed to have the the quote unquote happy ending she wanted uh for her version of little women um going to discuss that a bit today so yeah we we just we talk about everything and anything here so if you love books you love theology you love art I think that you will you'll like what we talk about on the podcast if you've left a review recently thank you so much I've said this before but um, they really mean so much to me personally this podcast is really a labor of love and uh, I love to connect with you and I love to know that people like what they're hearing so um if you have time to leave a comment and a review it means so much to me and it also of course helps the podcast show up in algorithms so i'm actually going to start uh today's podcast with the story of the little mermaid uh, i talked about this story back on the podcast that a very short-lived podcast that i did called on fairy stories that i did in quarantine last year you can still find the archive of that online on itunes wherever you listen to your podcast but I'm going to take the audio from one of the episodes I did on that about mermaids and uh, specifically the story of the little mermaid and Hans Christian Andersen's original version so I'm going to uh, play the audio here in which I tell the story of Hans Christian Andersen's original little mermaid that will get us going on today's show of Born of Wonder where we're going to talk about not so happily ever after Anderson's Little Mermaid is a shy, delicate creature. She lives underwater as royalty, the daughter of the Sea King. She and her five sisters have to wait until their 15th birthday to have a look above the surface. And uh, she's the youngest, so she has to wait the longest. And her older sisters all describe different beautiful scenes, the sun setting and chasing that sun and trying to see where it goes, church bells ringing, people dancing, all really beautiful and mysterious scenes. Uh, so when the Little Mermaid finally gets her turn, she watches the birthday celebration for a prince held on a magnificent boat. As she watches, she falls in love with this handsome prince, and so when a storm hits, she saves him from drowning, leaving him on the beach near a temple. She waits out in the ocean, camouflaged uh, with some seaweed behind a rock in the water, uh, until some temple maidens find him and bring him to safety. She sadly realizes that the prince will never realize it was she who saved him. Sad, alone, back underwater, the Little Mermaid asks her wise grandmother about the lifetime of human beings. And the grandmother explains that mermaids live much longer, about 300 years, but when they die, they are lost forever. They become sea foam. Human beings, however, uh, even though they have a much shorter life, have an immortal soul. So ultimately, it is this longing for immortality, even more than her love for the prince, that drives the Little Mermaid to make a deal with the sea witch. 
The witch drives a really hard bargain. She explains that um, she'll give the Little Mermaid legs and they'll be beautiful legs. She'll be graceful and elegant and a beautiful dancer. But the entire time she's a human, it will feel as if she's walking on knives and she'll be in constant pain. More than that, she says that the only way to gain an immortal soul is to marry the prince and receive the sacrament, becoming one as husband and wife. And if she fails to woo the prince, she'll die, becoming Seafoam, the night he weds someone else. And there's still one more price she has to pay, her voice, her beautiful, delicate, enchanting voice. But the Little Mermaid, uh, so in love, so longing for an immortal soul, agrees to all these all these conditions. So she goes to the surface and takes the potion and feels her body split in two with pain. And then the handsome prince finds her on the beach and sort of adopts her into his household as a sort of sad orphan. <laughs> and uh, the relationship with them is sort of interesting. They're friends, and but um, he definitely sort of pities her, sort of looks at her as this sort of pathetic girl. She's very beautiful, of course, but she's mute and sort of staring at him with wide eyes and so infatuated with him, he mostly feels sort of bad for her. As for himself, he tells the Little Mermaid that he's in love with the young temple girl who he thinks saved his life on the seashore. And in a tragic twist of fate, the temple maiden turns out to be a princess. After all, uh, she was hanging out in the temple receiving her religious education. So this means that um, the match is made with the prince and the wedding is set. The Little Mermaid is heartbroken, of course, but um, helps with the preparation, and on the night of the wedding, she, and this is a quote from Anderson, she laughed and danced with the thought of death in her heart. As the sun is rising, she's looking out on the ocean, preparing for her death, and that's when she sees her five sisters come out of the water with their hair cut. Turns out they've sold their hair to the sea witch for a knife, and this is a magical knife that once it is plunged into the heart of the prince, it will restore the Little Mermaid to her fishtail and will give her another 300 years of life under the sea. So they throw her the knife and beg her to come home. Feeling really tortured and sad, she um, goes into the prince's bedroom and sees him blissfully wrapped in the arms of his beautiful new bride, uh, and then just her heart absolutely breaking, she goes back out to the ocean, throws the knife into the waves, and throws herself into the water after it, expecting to become one with the sea foam lost forever. However, something marvelous happens. At that moment, she's lifted into the air and sort of melts into the breeze, and she's hearing voices all around her, and they tell her that they are air spirits. Uh, she's been given the chance to gain an immortal soul because of her sacrificial actions. So she's basically um, sort of like a wind nymph now, and uh, she'll be given the opportunity to blow these gentle, kind breezes on tear-stained cheeks and soothe hurting hearts in springtime, and one day she too can have a soul. So, as you can see, a very different story than the one uh, maybe many of us know from Disney, from The Little Mermaid, where she does actually uh, end up with the prince, get married, have a glorious uh, wedding on, on his ship, and they sail off quite literally into the sunset happily ever after. But in Hans Christian Andersen's version, uh, it's, it's a much deeper story uh, about about a longing for something, not just for a specific person and not just for um, the novelty of a new experience of life on land or something like that, but uh, a longing for a soul. And it's, it's a much, much more interesting story um, to have her uh, 
you know, she doesn't get what she wants. She doesn't get get uh, the prince in the end. Um, and it's actually what's meant to be. He's he's in love with someone else. And she, although she doesn't get what she wants, she's also given an opportunity to gain what she wants on a deeper level, which is an immortal soul. So that's very typical of Anderson's stories, which are actually, um, they're beautiful. They're absolutely gorgeous, uh, but there are, they are very dark. I mean, there are stories like The Little Match Girl, which are just simply tragic. I mean, the we're, in that case, a child is, is begging on the streets and you know, the only consolation we get at the end is that she possibly went to heaven. Um, and many, many, many other stories like that where we're sort of given this glimpse of consolation at the end, but this is certainly not the triumphant happy ending that we are used to uh, as we've been presented with fairy, tale, fairy tales, at least the way I was presented with fairy tales growing up. Um, and of course, I mean, many people know that the Grimm brothers, that their versions of, of well-known fairy tales are much darker. Uh, you know, that uh, Cinderella, that her stepsisters actually chopped off their toes so they could fit into the shoes. Um, there's even a very old version where Cinderella herself had been responsible for her first stepmother's uh, death. So maybe wasn't so crazy that her second stepmother was a little suspicious of her, <laughs> uh, kept her, you know, cleaning fireplaces. So she didn't really trust her. Uh, so, I mean, fairy tales are dark, right? Um, and I think that it's it's worth asking why and why we sort of want the bow on them. Uh, I got thinking about this topic for a number of reasons, just as things happen, as they often happen, sort of a lot of topics will that I'm interested in will sort of collide at the same time. Uh, I listened to a great episode of the Burrowshire podcast, um, which is uh, a wonderful podcast, if you have time to listen to it, where they did a uh, episode on Disney and theology and I've never heard two grown men one of them a Catholic priest um, just so enthusiastic about Disney movies they go through uh, they go through Beauty and the Beast they go through Aladdin a Hunchback of Notre Dame and uh, I think maybe there was one more but they go through in detail about how these stories and how Disney presented them and oh they go through the Lion King uh, about how they uh teach us something about the nature of God, about the nature of humanity, about our desire for mercy, love, sacrifice, about, um, about, about human, uh, the human need to be loved. Uh, and it was wonderful. I mean, it really took me back. My absolute favorite movie growing up was Beauty and the Beast. I loved that movie. I mean, I can't emphasize enough how much I thought I was Belle. I related to Belle. I just, I found the whole story beautiful. I loved the soundtrack, everything about it. I'm a Disney fan, especially that sort of peak wonderful time in the early 90s, late 80s there. Um, definitely a fan, but uh, I think that it's worth asking what were the original stories and why did we change them? So anyway, I ended up reading, um, listening to on an audiobook, a biography of Walt Disney, was thinking a lot about Disney, and then I read a book on, uh, it's, it's The Art of Danish Parenting. Any parents out there probably know that there's this subgenre of books that are all about different parenting styles from different countries, bringing a baby, baby. Uh, the French one is probably the most famous, um, but there's so many and it was recommended to me the Viking style of parenting. I don't know if I want to go into that. Sounds dangerous, maybe like pillaging. I don't know. It doesn't seem good for the baby. But in any case, um, I read this Danish book and uh, some of the takeaways uh, were along these lines were about how the Danes, uh, even 
They're the happiest people in the world, right? At least according to surveys. These people are very, very happy, but they um, they don't feel the, the need that Americans do to sort of have the shiny finish, to sort of have the ending all wrapped up in the bow and have the happily ever after. In fact, Danish cinema and Danish art is pretty bleak. Um, it, a lot darker than than American films in general and uh, they, they tend to sort of they're not necessarily optimists uh, but they aren't pessimists either they just sort of take things as it as it comes uh, life is hard but life is also beautiful like it's just a much more nuanced way of approaching things and um, one of the recommendations was for with playing with your children was to have free play and uh, to really allow them to play by themselves and also to sometimes do what we might think of as risky behavior. I mean, not, you know, running into the street, but jumping off logs, climbing trees, these sort of things, because play for children is a way of rehearsing stress, right, and pushing themselves um, to experience stress in a healthy way in the context of play. Uh, they compared it to like when two dogs are chasing each other and they're having so much fun, or at least one of the dogs is. <laughs> um, it, it's a way of, of mimicking uh, a stressful situation of being chased. I mean, we do this too. As, as kids, we play tag. You know, we, we do all sorts of things that mimic, uh, mimic stressful situations, elevate our our blood pressure get us amped up, get our adrenaline rushed uh, going, and that's actually very healthy to sort of um, put ourselves through this stressful situations within a safe context. And it made me think about how in our stories we're also kind of doing that, how um, we need stories that allow us to experience things in a cathartic way, uh, yes, in sort of the tragic, cathartic, classic, classical Greek sense, but also just um, to sort of see life being played out uh, in the many ways that it can happen, which is not always the Disney happily ever after, but to allow that to happen, allow um, that that not so happy ending to occur and allow us to experience that and still find meaning in it. Um, I think that the danger of always looking for the happy ending, always looking for that perfect swelling music at the end um, is going to, uh, is that we can come back to our own lives and it's not going to look like that, not all the time. I think many of us have our fairy tale moments, and those are beautiful, but they're moments. They're not an ending. Um, you know, in the movie, we, we turn it off, it, it ends, we assume everything goes well, but it's um, life goes on. Uh, it doesn't just end in a climactic moment um, with, the, with the ship wedding going off into the sunset. We need something a little deeper. We need something a little more sustainable. And so I think that these stories, uh, like Annie Hall, that uh, allow us to see a relationship that quote unquote doesn't work out, uh, but is still meaningful, that that can be really valuable. Um, and then we were watching the uh, great movie, uh, if you haven't seen it, highly recommend, Meryl Streep, Robert Redford, Out of Africa. I tried to read the book by Isaac Dennison, uh, and it just, it's it's not that readable, I don't think. Uh, Maybe I'll try again sometime, but um, the movie is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, we watched it for the first time years ago when we went on this streak of we picked an actor. We decided we'd pick an actor and then watch sort of all their films or many of their films. And we picked Meryl Streep. Great choice because she's been in many, many amazing movies that are all really, really different. So we got to have many different experiences watching many of her films. Um, I really recommend that as a way of discovering new movies is to sort of pick, to, pick an actor, actors, actress you like, and, uh, and sort of go through their filmography. Um, not everyone is Meryl Streep, so it's not always going to <laughs> be, uh, all the movies won't be as fantastic. But um, 
in this movie, again, if you haven't seen it and you don't want to know the ending, um, maybe skip ahead a little bit here, uh, but they, it's a tragedy at the end. Uh, you know, the love affair ends with Robert Redford's character dying. And yet we are still experiencing this intense feeling of meaning and purpose. And I mean, it's kind of, you know, we were sort of joking this time when we watched the movie at the end, we're like, this was kind of a disaster. You know, this farm in Africa didn't work out. You know, she had this school going, didn't work out. All her friends, uh, she had a terrible illness. Her lover died. Like, (laughs) things didn't go well. Um, But it's a beautiful story and she led a beautiful life. And I think that that, um, that, that, that's a, that could be really important to experience stories like that. Now, of course, um, you know, there's a beautiful swelling musical score that sort of cues us into the meaning, um, and into feeling, uh, feeling the depth of that tragic tragedy in a cathartic way. But I'm not, I, I love movie scores, but they, they can be manipulative. Um, my husband and I were talking about this. They can, they could sort of say like, cue this emotion here. Um, but I think that, uh, especially in these stories that don't work out, uh, they can, they can alert us to the fact that this is still a good story. This is still a beautiful story, even though this isn't the ending maybe you hoped for or expected. So I think that, uh, that's certainly true in Out of Africa. Now, if you haven't seen the ending of The New Little Women, again, I'm going to say maybe skip or, you know, um, if you don't want to know, but this was very controversial about the about Greta Gerwig's 2019's version of Little Women uh, was that she she changed it um, in, in a very very interesting way. I'm going to link in the show notes to a review I wrote of the of the film in which I sort of really go through in detail what she did with the ending. But basically, in real life, Louisa May Alcott uh, was asked to change the ending of Little Women. She had her main character Joe March, who was of course sort of her alter ego, uh, remain single as as she did uh, and become a writer. But they thought that wouldn't sell. There's no love story. There's no marriage. We need we need this uh, this this girl character. We need her married off at the end, and uh, so that's what she did. And believe me, I'm a huge fan of Professor Bear and um, Joe's School for Boys and everything. Like I love that whole story. So I'm not just bashing that ending or anything like that. But the fact remains that Louisa May Alcott was asked to change this story to what people thought a happy ending would be. They wanted that bow on it. They wanted that picture-perfect ending. So what Greta Gerwig did very cleverly is she gives us the fairy tale ending and it feels like a fairy tale. It's sort of saturated in all these warm colors. There's a swelling music score. It's so over the top. Um, at the very end, like when, when Joe is in the school for boys, she kind of looks kind of punch drunk to me, like just sort of like, oh, like kind of dazed and so happy. Everybody's so happy. Everything has worked out. Um, she presents us with that ending, but she also gives us a different ending uh, where Joe doesn't end up with the professor, but she writes the book and the ending is her watching her book getting printed. And I think that we're meant to say, you know, I, I think it's quite clear that that is also a happy ending, that maybe it's not, um, maybe it's not a typical happy ending. Maybe it's, it doesn't have the marriage plot. It's not the swelling score, the big fantasy, um, that we all recognize, but this was her happy ending and, uh, and that that was also a good ending for her. Uh, and I think that that is really, really important, uh, to grapple with that. And I think it was so clever, so beautiful, the way she presented those two endings, it sort of allowed us to see them side by side and, um, see these different versions of Joe, 
I think it's quite clear that the um, fairy tale ending, the the book ending, Professor Barrett, her and the School for Boys didn't happen because the uh, it's it's a very stark so the way it's filmed. It seems sort of like a reality fantasy divide to me, but it's certainly left open if you want to say um, that that did happen. Uh, did it only happen in the book? I don't know. Did it only happen in the movie? Like we we sort of have to ask all these questions of of where it happened or how it happened but um we're given the opportunity to experience those two endings and uh and they're both good you know they're both good it it doesn't have to be uh be so simple so i think that that's really important to keep in mind so those are just some thoughts about um about what is a happy ending and uh and maybe we should seek out some stories with with uh with different kinds of endings and different stories that can teach us about different aspects of life um, just a few quotes here to, to end the episode. Um, Sylvia Plath said, Life has been some combination of fairy tale coincidence and joie de vivre and shocks of beauty together with some hurtful self-questioning. That's from her unabridged journals. And I think that that's very relatable. Like I was saying, we certainly, most of us have had some fairy tale moments, but we've also had some terrible moments and definitely a lot of self-questioning on the way. And that's, that's life. That's real life. Tolkien is you know, our go-to for fairy tale here, right? So he says, fairy tale does not deny the existence of sorrow and failure. The possibility of these is necessary to the joy of deliverance. It denies in the face of much evidence, if you will, universal final defeat, giving a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. So now for Tolkien, um, fantasy and fairy stories, uh, they were filling a very specific role, a sort of theological role in people's lives. They were allowing us to glimpse the happy ending uh, that is the theological reality uh, in his Catholic faith, that um, that they were mirrors, that we were allowed to sort of be co-creators uh, of a story that allowed us to partake um, before we die in, in a glimpse of heaven, basically. Um, but I think that it's important if you think about Lord of the Rings, you think about The Hobbit, um, there's there's a lot of darkness there and there's a lot of um, struggle. Uh, yes, of course, we have the crowning, the return of the king, we have that triumphant moment, but we certainly had to work to get there and, there, and it's not all happy, right? Frodo leaves. I mean, he says to Sam, you know, you still have so much to do and be here in the Shire, but my story's over. And sometimes uh, that poignancy uh, is part of the story too, that the fact that he leaves, that that the elves are leaving, that Gandalf is leaving. Um, and it's sad, you know, um, that, that there are always tears this side of the veil. But uh, even though Hans Christian Andersen uh, was, was, the author of many dark fairy tales, uh, as we as we heard earlier, he said, life itself is the most wonderful fairy tale. So I think maybe we just need to change our definition of what a fairy tale is, have an idea that there are many, many versions of a happy ending and uh, and be open to them. So I think that maybe that's that's the biggest lesson here. So my recommendation today is going to be uh, the film Out of Africa. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's just absolutely gorgeous, really beautiful, uh, aesthetically just stunning to watch, and also raises a lot of interesting questions in addition to being just a, a beautiful romantic story. Um, and some of those questions are raised in this really, really well done scene. The dialogue is so sharp here. Um, I'm going to play it for us. 
uh, when we watched it recently, we rewound our DVD and uh, watched it again. Um, it was just that that good and that thought-provoking. Um, this scene uh, will just give you an idea of, uh, of what you're in for when you watch it. So I hope you enjoy, and I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I'm Katie Marquette, and you've been listening to Born of Wonder. You do stir things up, Ernest. When they say they like to read, how do they put that exactly? I mean, do they know they'd like Dickens? You don't think they should learn to read? I think you might have asked them. Did you ask to learn when you were a child? How can stories possibly harm them? They have their own stories. They're just not written down. And what stake do you have in keeping them ignorant? They're not ignorant. I just don't think they should be turned into little Englishmen. You do like to change things, don't you? For the better, I hope. I want my Kikuyu to learn to read. My Kikuyu. My Limoges. My farm. It's an awful lot to own, isn't it? I have paid a price for everything I own. And what is it exactly that's yours? We're not owners here, Karen. We're just passing through. Is life really so damn simple for you, Finch Hartman? Perhaps I ask less of it than you do. I don't believe that at all. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. <laughs>